Hello, and welcome to McGuire Woods Edible Bites, where we bring you bite-sized updates on all things happening in the life sciences space, including cannabis, hemp, CBD, and other emerging markets. Our updates are quick and packed with key industry developments that you can watch during your morning coffee, while having lunch, or on a brain break. We're excited to discuss today's food for thought. Let's get noodling. Please remember that Edible Bites podcast is for informational food for thought purposes only. These updates should not be construed as legal advice in any way, shape, form, or fashion. Please be sure to consult with an attorney before being fearless with any legal decisions. In addition, we note marijuana and other controlled substances are classified as Schedule 1 by the U.S. Drug Enforcement Agency. Any content contained or discussed herein is not intended to provide legal advice to assist with the violation of any state or federal law. Hi, and welcome to Edible Bites. I'm Kate Hardy with Navarro Red, and with me today is my trusted colleague, Royce Dubonet. Hey, Royce, how are you? Hey, what's up, Kate? We're going to talk about some real interesting stuff today. Yeah, we're going to talk about something a little bit different, um, but it's really coming on fast, and that is psilocybin. And specifically, we're going to talk about the recently enacted Oregon Psilocybin Services Act, Measure 109, um, which passed during this past um, recent election, and it's a super comprehensive law. Um, We'll talk about what psilocybin is, and we're going to talk a little bit about the state licensure process. So for folks who are interested in uh, staying cannabis or getting into the early stages of the mushrooms and psilocybin, I uh, can have an idea as to what's coming down the pipe. So just to give a quick overview, uh, the Oregon Psilocybin Services Act covers a ton of different things. This is a huge list. We're not going to talk about all of this today. Today, we're just going to do a quick update on the licensure process because that's complicated enough as it is. But still, folks can see these are all of the different areas that are covered under the Act. It's really long and very specific. And I think the one thing um, we see from this law is it does feel a lot like Oregon looked at all of the different types of cannabis laws, maybe what's working, what's not working, uh, and kind of threw it all in to try to cover as much as possible in this act, just to point out a couple things. Um, there's tax that's covered in here. Um, there's a lot about testing standards that are covered in here, and anybody who follows in the cannabis space. Um, knows at least from the 2018 Farm Bill Act, and that's, that's going to be third uh, of different types of testing and how that's supposed to work. So that's an overview. Um, and let's jump into talking about what exactly is psilocybin and what does it do. And Royce, I'm going to kind of give us a little bit of background on psilocybin. What is psilocybin? Uh, there are over 180 species of mushroom that contain the chemicals psilocybin or psilocin. And psilocybin has been used by human beings for 
you know, time immortal. It, it's been a part of a lot of cultures, a lot of um, religions, and it, it's the primary psychoactive ingredient found, you know, in, in in certain kinds of mushrooms that are either fresh or dried. And for a long time, um, it's been used by indigenous communities to you know, activate certain parts of the brain that can create hallucinogenic effects. And, you know, these aren't necessarily like, you know, you're, you're on bath salts or something and, and the world's going crazy and, you know, you're, you're making the news in Florida. Um, not that, that any of that was laughing, but um, psilocybin is a little bit more structured and, is really being looked at closely. I mean, people have known for years that it's created kind of, you know, religious or spiritual encounters and that has had a positive effect on the user. But recently it's been analyzed for, you know, what, how can this be used in medicine and especially in treatment resistant depression, uh, depression that is like really non-responsive to the the medicines that we have out there which are you know selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors which are getting pretty dated right now and then there's you know um you know norepinephrine reuptake inhibitors and, and all of these products have just you know really sometimes nasty side effects to them uh, you know their their action is limited on, on some people and, and they're kind of getting to the end of their line and psilocybin is offering a non-SSRI approach to treatment-resistant depression. And it's being really studied carefully by a bunch of institutions. We'll see it on the next slide. And it's been granted in 2018 breakthrough therapy by FDA, which is, is pretty serious. It means that, you know, this isn't the you know, the magic mushrooms that, you know, were done back in the, you know, the 60s and 70s, you know, on the commune, this is, you know, serious stuff for, for serious indications and could offer great potential. Kind of like I think, you know, cannabis is a little bit like that as well. We're discovering that there's properties there, whether it's CBD or otherwise, that actually medical beneficial use yeah yeah absolutely and you know you know what are what's what's really going on in these studies you know and I, i've seen a couple of them and I, i've watched uh you know some of the interviews with the investigators and, and essentially you're taking individuals who are um you know have either ptsd or serious depressive disorders and <clears throat> the way psilocybin works is it can create um, almost a sense of euphoria, a sense of belonging and an alternate kind of reality for these individuals from which, you know, combined with cognitive behavioral therapy can create a more lasting experience that doesn't have recurring side effects, doesn't require, you know, constant um, prescription monitoring. And, <clears throat> and the results of the studies have been pretty pretty promising so far, um, especially ones that have been used, uh, you know, for, for the treatment of PTSD and veterans groups. And, you know, those that, you know, you're looking at individuals who have used traditional um, 
psychological medications for treatment of depression and, and other symptoms, and then you're, you're putting them on psilocybin, and it's kind of opening a door. I think words, if you want, we can probably just note, like, you know, we got this off clinical trial stuff. Now. There's, this yeah. here, you know, institutions that are participating in studies for different types of, you know, um, uses for psilocybin, depression, and other things. Um, you know, so it's definitely out there. Yeah, I, I think a lot of this stuff is also being championed by um, MAPS, which is the Multidisciplinary Society for Advancing Psychedelics. Um, and they've been really active in pursuing uh, approved uses. And I think the important thing to mention about all these studies is there are not studies for products that maybe use recreationally, these studies are being done to advance um, a potential IND or an IND investigational new drug application with FDA. And I, I think that, that that's pretty interesting that there's been this change in tone at the federal government. Thank you, Royce. All right, so let's, let's move on and run through some of the key things to know about the license regime in Oregon for psilocybin. So first slide we have here is, these are just some of the key facts and features people will want to know about it. The main thing to understand is after the law passed, there's a two-year development program that's going on right now. So um, the, one of the big things is they're establishing an advisory board that we'll talk about. Um, the members of that advisory board were just recently picked and I think the first meeting is occurring at the end of March. Uh, there's going to be rules that are adopted for the different types of service centers and who can provide psilocybin. Also, as we talked about, um, there are certain things in the statute uh, that it's already kind of made sure it's covered. Uh, a couple of examples are here. The law um, does not require coverage at this point um, for any of these services by private health insurance. So that'll be interesting um, to see how affordable this can be. Uh, doesn't change any state laws pertaining to employment. Um, we had a prior episode, if anybody's interested in listening to that, on cannabis laws and employment issues. Those definitely can go hand in hand when people are getting treatment. Um, doesn't amend or affect federal law pertaining to landlord-tenant matters, um, and also does not exempt the person from federal law. Pretty clear on those points. And this is all also to allow the legal manufacturer of psilocybin in the state. This is not a manufacturer in Wisconsin, and you're going to import it to Oregon um, to be programs. So that's something else. And under this regime, there's four main types of licenses. We're going to run through all of these. Um, there's a manufacturer license. There's a license to operate a psilocybin service center where patients come for treatment. Uh, there's a license for someone who can facilitate psilocybin services, and that's basically the person who's going to be administering those. Um, and then, like we said before, um, there's 
laboratories and testing that has to occur. And one thing that we don't have on the slide that's interesting is there's a, also a litany of reasons that a license for any of these can be denied. Um, and one of the interesting ones, and this is written in the statute, is you can be denied a license if you are, quote, unable to understand the laws of the state related to psilocybin. Um, don't quite know how that one would be enforced. I guess if you're not paying fees or, or following the rules, but um, I thought that was kind of an interesting uh, one to stick in there. Okay, and a couple more um, things just to run through the general part of the licenses. All four licenses that we just talked about, the application process is going to begin January 2nd, 2023. In the meantime, the Oregon Board is going to be developing regulations to go along with all of these. Um, a few of the things to note, uh, licenses are not property. Um, they're not subject to attachment. And they do not descend to the law of the test state, which means you can't just pass them along to your relatives. Um, there's also a lot of different types of restrictions on financial interest in the different types of licenses um, and whether or not you can hold multiple licenses. Uh, so that is also something that's going to be important to get into if you have a specific interest in one or more of these. And these laws that we're seeing here, kind of the way this is set up is, is, is almost exactly borrowed from cannabis in the limitation of multiple licenses, declaration of financial interests, um, the non-transferability of licenses, and the, the various types of licenses for each part of the process from getting mushroom from ground to distribution. Right. So the next, we're going to run through um, just kind of the key requirements that everybody's going to want to understand for the four different types of licenses that we've mentioned. Um, and there's two things. Uh, there is a residency requirement that's pretty interesting. And then there's some definite um, financial relationship type requirements that are also interesting that folks are going to want to pay attention to. Um, the first one is for the manufacturer license. You do have to be a resident of the state for more than two years. Um, and interesting here, again, we put some details in here, but that also kind of goes through um, how the business is going to be owned. So the state thought through if you are the direct owner of a business, if you've owned a business in a partnership, or um, if you are an individual owner. Um, I'm not going to walk through all of these because you can see them, but it basically lays out um, how the shares can be owned and who has to be a resident. Um, typical for other license things, there's a license renewal fee. Um, we'll talk a little bit more about this in a minute. There's a land use compatibility statement that you'll have to get. There's going to be regulations to lay this out a little bit more. Um, but that goes to similar what would be cannabis. You know, you can't, you know, school, 
um, within the county zoning assistance as far as where people are going to be able to locate it. Um, there's also an endorsement requirement from the Oregon Health Authority. Again, there will be um, regulations developed for this. One other interesting thing, um, the psilocybin products can only be manufactured indoors, uh, so you can't be doing that outdoors. Um, and then there's restrictions on delivery and receipt. So how are you going to get the product from the manufacturing facility to the service center? Um, the fact that you have to have your product come from a licensed manufacturer. And I think one of the other things that maybe in this they're considering is the fact that, you know, mushrooms are great absorbers of toxic chemicals in the ground. And I think that they're also probably contemplating, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if we see as part of this process in the future, some sort of environmental site assessment requirement. It's kind of like all the water mm -hmm. outside things we're seeing cannabis. And yeah, that, that did not show up um, in the lab at the first really good point. Okay, so next let's just run through the main requirements to think about for the psilocybin service center licenses. This is the facility where folks would go um, to get their psilocybin and this is where they have to go get the product and also hang out wait for a little while after they've received it. Um, the laws make clear this is not a health care facility under Oregon law. Again, reminder, residency requirements for this. Um, also, like we talked about, there's location limits. So these service centers can't be within the limits of an incorporated city or town, can't be anywhere that's zoned for residential use. So you can't go buy up a house somewhere inside the dust and be your um, nice patient treatment center. I think there's some um, behavioral health type uh, facilities that sometimes do these things to sort of transition, um, but you cannot do that. Um, and you cannot be located within a thousand feet of an elementary school or a secondary school. Again, there are certain exceptions. There's a list of that that applies. Um, so these are just a few uh, to know about. And again, testing requirements, we'll talk about that. There are going to be public health and safety standards that will be addressed with regulations. Um, and again, there's going to be this land use compatibility statement that we'll, we'll have to see what the regulations say um, as far as that product. We've got two more license types just to run through quickly and go through the requirements. The next one we have is the license to facilitate psilocybin services. So this would be the person who is administering the psilocybin, however it is administered, and that's something that's being studied. There's a couple different methods to do that. Um, again, there are residency requirements. At this point, the statute says you have to have um, at least a high school diploma. The writings are going to address certain education, other education and training requirements, probably continuing education type things. Um, there is going to be an exam that needs to be taken. Uh, and then, again, the board is going to develop um, 
public health and safety standards. There's going to be a code of professional conduct and standards of practice. So um, there will be quite a bit of things that folks will have to follow um, in order to be able to administer these services. And we'll, we'll watch the, the regulations, and I'm sure we'll talk about that as they're developed. Yeah, and I think the thing that we're thinking about with this is that, you know, the requirements are going to look a lot like the way they do for cannabis, such as training on track and trace, training on operation of the state systems, labeling, you know, who's a valid patient. And then I think the other thing to keep in mind is if we look at other cannabis states, and this is not cannabis, but if we look at other states that are newly coming online in cannabis, those regulations can take a while to get there. And the regulations may not be um, in complete unison with the way the statute, or in this case, the the voter initiative was written. So if you're going after one of these, be prepared for a couple of years of growing pains with the state until they hammer out the system. Another example of that too is um, for the medical cannabis, there's the some of the THC side of that and how much is going to be there. The psilocybin, right, there is a psychoactive aspect of this. Um, you got to be careful that people are not hallucinating and, well, maybe it's a spiritual experience. We might not want that every time we do treatment. So I think that's definitely going to be something that folks are going to have to kind of be cognizant of and thinking about. I'm sure those are the types of things that may show up in your regulations. All right. And last but not least um, is the lab license. And this is going to be for labs that are testing products to make sure they are, you know, meeting all the requirements before they are given to patients. Um, it kind of like you just said, right, there's going to have to be procedures to track the product, so it's tested, track where it's going. Um, and this is another one where the Oregon Health Authority is going to develop the qualifications and accreditation needed um, for laboratories that want to do that. So this is another one. Um, the Oregon Health Authority has a web page. Anybody who's interested in any of these licenses can definitely go there and see how things are developing. Um, but this is one more license. Uh, and I'm sure this one is changing kind of like cannabis. It's going to take a bit to work through um, exactly how the standards are developed. Yeah. And I think also on the lab license front, you know, one of the big unanswered questions is, you know, what does that look like from the DEA side? DEA you know, you're supposed to have a, a, a testing license from DEA to be testing Schedule One substances. Um, is it, you know, is it a good idea to get a DEA license here? Should you get a DEA license? What does that look like in comparison to here? And that's just some of the unanswered questions out there. And I, I think, you know, in time, we'll maybe get some additional clarity on that. I we had it on one of the beginning slides, and psilocybin, like cannabis, is a Schedule One controlled substance. So, you know, running it all over the place uh, is not okay. And I don't think the DEA has um, said as much about psilocybin as it has about cannabis, which has been, you know, out there, and people have been um, 
trying to decide what to do with it for years now. So we'll see what happens. All right, and then on our last slide, we're just gonna, again, go through a few um, license requirements that we didn't talk about. Um, if you are, if you have more than one type of license, the law, at least at this time, says you're gonna have to make sure you have a way to segregate your activities. Um, so that is definitely something to think about in addition to the location requirements, uh, depending on what you're interested in doing as to how you might do that. We talked about this as well, but when you're setting up your business, in addition to the residency requirements, you definitely need to be prepared to disclose any and everyone that has a financial interest, what that financial interest is. Um, there's also a list at this point of how uh, licenses can be disciplined, um, similar to what we're used to seeing at I think, any licensure for being, um, you know, if you're misrepresenting things, if for some reason you become insolvent, um, you know, if you violate code of professional conduct. I think those are pretty standard. Um, and then there is, at this point, a civil penalty of $5,000 per violation that can also be and I'm sure it'll be regulations as well, which left a little bit of the doubt, but again, we'll, we'll keep watching those. And then this last slide here, like we mentioned, um, this is your reward. There's a web page. Um, it has lots of great information if you're, if you're interested in looking at it. Um, they did announce all of the appointees on the board webpage um, maybe about a week ago. And um, the first meeting of the board members is supposed to take place at the end of March. So, so far on track with everything that is required in the statute, despite COVID. Um, and then the last thing that we want to mention here, Oregon is obviously the first state to come on um, like this, but there are other bills out there. Definitely other states are interested, kind of like Canada. Um, we're expecting to see this continue to grow and states uh, also with their interest in perhaps developing their own program once Oregon gets underway. All right, so keep an eye out. And then that's it for our summary today of Oregon. Um, we will do some additional um, ones to talk about some of the other things, uh, like I mentioned, the tax and some of the other details that are important. Um, but our, our main takeaways from today are organs out there. The rules are complex, but if you're thinking about it, uh, definitely start looking into it now. Start thinking about how you would be structuring your business, what your financial interest disclosures might look at. Um, we'll be watching the regulations as they're developed. Got to be thinking about those residency requirements. So this is not one where if you're not in the state right now, you can just kind of jump in and play um, when it's ready to go. If you're interested in starting in 2023, kind of start thinking about how you're going to meet those residency requirements. Um, and again, the financial interest and location will also be. And I, I 
we talked about this um, on our episode with Amanda Ostrich when we were talking about um, some of the states that are coming on and how it's difficult really to meet some of the location restrictions in the Kansas state. And I'm sure we'll see some of that also come up for the All right. Well, thank you everybody for joining us. We hope you found this to be educational and we'll look forward to talking to you next time. But until then, we can do it a lot now.